All right, we are back to podcast. Sunday evening podcast. I hope everyone has had a good day in Jesus. And uh, I'm thankful for the services this morning. Thankful for what the Lord is doing and has done. And uh, got a lot of exciting things uh, going to be happening. We'll be talking about in the next uh, week or two. And so I, I hope everyone uh, is, is just had a good week. Looking forward to seeing uh, each of you again as well. And we're going to Hebrews chapter number 3. Hebrews 3 tonight. And we've covered so far, I've, I've given you background on <clears throat> Hebrews 1 and 2 in the entire book of Hebrews. Of course, you you got to understand the context, okay? And the context of Hebrews is essentially the people of God are under great oppression. And, of course, the Jew, uh, when they would get saved, they would begin to follow Jesus. Many would get excommunicated from their families. And um, they, they were under enormous amounts of pressure to renounce their faith. Okay, much like um, many of our early church forefathers, our Baptist forefathers that were um, that that were tortured, many as the apostles would be, uh, were tortured for their faith. And so there's a there's a great amount. And and having said that, there's always been an attempt by by Satan, by the world, the world system to. Um, to eradicate the Christian belief, the Christian faith, always. And the and it still goes on today by different methods and means. Today it's more uh, societal pressure, it's more political pressure, cancellation pressure, things like that. Um, but in this day it was physical. It was physical pressure. It was pressure uh, to being put upon people to to be attacked physically even. And so understand that as we look in the, the Word of God. This is a short chapter, but we'll take it uh, we'll take it verse by verse. Now, understanding where the writer is coming from. He's writing to Hebrews. So the I mean that's that's the the name of the book that's Hebrews. So he's writing to Hebrew Jews. Of course, the um, the Old Testament that was was translated from Hebrew, New Testament translated from Greek, and so Hebrew and Aramaic actually in the Old Testament, um, and then Greek in the New Testament. The entire New Testament was Greek. So Hebrews are who the Jews are. So that's where this is epistle is generally spoken to at the time. Now, it has great application. It has great meaning and significance to you and me based on our Christian faith and the attacks that we find it coming under at times. So, he starts out in chapter 3, verse 1, Wherefore, brethren, or wherefore, holy brethren, so there's, we, we talk brother all of, you know, we, what's this brother language? Just brother language. Brother this, brother that, brother 
found by the cave. You know, what's this brother language? Well, that's that's how they spoke in the Bible. They were brothers in the Lord Jesus. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They weren't physical brothers. It was a more significant uh, relationship. Actually, they were they were spiritual brethren, and so. Paul, or I keep saying Paul, the writer, Christ, Paul, uh, God himself, God the Father himself. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Okay, so you've, you've, they've adopted the heavenly calling through the new birth. Consider the apostle, the apostle. Now watch the caps here. The apostle and high priest. Now... That is significant. We're talking to Hebrews. We're talking to Jews. There are many apostles at this point. Not today, but there were at this point. And uh, you, you do understand that, right? That no prophecy of the scripture is given any private interpretation. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Okay. These modern-day prophets and prophetess, um, I'm going to do a study soon and show you how it's it's based out of witchcraft. It, it comes from witchcraft, okay? It's not by accident that when Saul went for a prophet or a prophecy concerning him and David in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel that he went to a female witch in Endor, Okay? You always hear of this extra biblical knowledge. Extra bi Don't come to me wanting uh, advice or knowledge on something extra biblical. I'm going to tell you it's 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 not of God. God gives us a more sure word of prophecy. That's the significance of the Bible. I remember me telling you that from Peter. I preached it from Peter so many times that we have a more sure word of prophecy than if we had heard God speak with our physical voice himself. That's what Peter said in the Bible. He heard Jesus speak on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he said, we've got a more sure word of prophecy. That Bible is as more sure and accurate as if we heard God speak himself. You want to know why? Because sometimes you think you've heard him speak and you really haven't. So if what you've heard him say in your mind goes contrary to what the Bible says, then you didn't hear God speak. You're welcome. So, at this time though, at this time, in the Old or in the New Testament church, there were apostles. You had Apostle Paul, John, Peter, uh, you know, had the early apostles. James has been... Uh, martyred at this time but we have we do have many apostles at the time but then he takes it a step further not paul as great as he was not peter as great as he was none of them as great as they were were also high priest okay the high priest. Now, the Bible says in Revelation that when we're saved, we're made kings and priests. Okay? Made kings and priests. So we don't need a priest. We don't need a pope. Like I've told you before, we don't need to go to a man who calls himself Papa and dresses like Mama. We don't need to go through a knothead, through, talk to a knothead through a knothole. We are priests. And we've got access to a great high priest. 
So look at that. The Bible says, consider the apostle and high priest. No one else can claim that. There's one. Of our profession, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. So this book is about Christ Jesus. The Old Testament was about Christ Jesus, even though he wasn't named. The New Testament is about Christ Jesus. And what's beautiful about Hebrews, it's all about Christ Jesus. It's not just about Christ Jesus. It's about how much better he is than Moses, than Noah, than Abraham, than any of the Old Testament fathers, how much better he is than false religion, how much better he is than the law. And so the Hebrew writer is trying to encourage them to not renounce their faith. He's trying to encourage them to not give up. How is he doing that? By telling them and reminding them that Jesus is better. Verse 2. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So now he's drawing the analogy. Why would he draw the analogy of Moses to these people? Because these people held Moses in such high esteem as their leader out of Egypt across the Red Sea into the wilderness, of course, and ultimately into Canaan land that Joshua took them. So Moses is a patriarch of the Jewish faith. Verse 2 who for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. So he's making another analogy here. The house is beautiful. The house is wonderful. But who built the house? Christianity is... is is more than a religion. Christianity is the relationship, and it's a relationship with the person. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, you don't just admire the house. You've got to acknowledge the builder of the house. So it's not just a set of facts. It's not just a set of laws. It's not just a, a set of ways of doing things. It's not just a routine of going to church. It's much more than that. It is a relationship with a person. And that person is not Moses. And that person is not Noah. That person is with Jesus Christ. Now watch. The Bible says here, verse 4, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. So the house is built by some man. Verse 5 and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of these things, with those things which were to be spoken after. Okay, so he's drawing a clear analogy here with Moses and Christ. And he's not, notice that he's not, he's not discounting Moses. He's not undercutting Moses. He's not, he's not belittling Moses. He's not cutting any corners on Moses. He is building Moses up here, but he's telling us that Christ is better. So he's saying how wonderful and faithful and great and a wonderful leader and all the, the wonderful attributes of Moses, but he's saying Christ is better. Now that's, that's, that's so significant. So, 
Verse 6, but Christ as a son. Now that's something that Moses could not claim. Moses could claim to be a good man. He could claim to be a good leader. He could claim to love and follow God, but he could not claim. He could not claim to be a son. So let's look. Keep reading. Uh, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? This is good. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So notice his objective. His objective is to tell them, hang on. Don't renounce the faith. Don't give up hope. Don't give up Christ. Don't renounce Christ. Don't quit Christianity. Don't say you don't believe. I know you're under enormous pressure and that pressure has to do with your people's belief in Moses and it has to do with their belief in Abraham and it has to do with their belief in the law and what Paul or the writer or God or Christ or whomever is pinning this is saying is look, it was all wonderful. It was all great. I'm not attacking you for what you believed. I believe it too. But I'm telling you, what was the, the, the Moses of the Old Testament is the Christ of the New Testament. And he's exceeded that. Everything from Abraham to Moses to Noah to David to Solomon to all the Old Testament prophets to Isaiah to Jeremiah. They were all leading and building to the coming Messiah. And that's what the Hebrew writer's trying to tell the people here. He's saying you can't give up. You can't renounce it. You can't quit the faith. Because this is the faith. The Christ of the New Testament is the faith of the Old Testament. The Christ of the New Testament is the embodiment of what was being prophesied in the Old Testament. We've got to get back to teaching, preaching, believing, living, loving, and promoting Jesus Christ. Not a dogma, not a religion, not a church, not a way of life, but Jesus Christ. That's and that that, that gives the answer to the to the non prophets non and all of this is is the fact that just teach Jesus. But you know that bores some people. Some people got to have a little extra sauce on the on the steak. You know they got to have a little more. Well, he's saying. We've got a more sure word of prophecy. What's better than Jesus? Okay. Verse number uh, verse number seven. Wherefore. So wherefore. Wherefore refers back. So let's look at verse six. But Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Verse, verse number seven. Wherefore as the Holy Ghost saith. Today, if you will hear his voice. So he's saying, listen to his voice. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to his call. Listen to him speaking to you. Okay? Harden not your hearts. Now, there is a, a, an issue. People can harden their hearts to Bible truth, to Bible teaching, Bible preaching. I've seen that. I've watched it. I've watched people that used to have really tender hearts for the things of God Harden their hearts. They've let life, they've let circumstance, they've let church fights, they've let problems harden their heart. It's a dangerous place to be when your heart gets hardened. You know what? 
That's what leads to renunciation. That's what leads to renouncing the walk and the faith. That's what leads to quit going to church. That's what leads to quit worshiping Christ is when your hard heart gets hardened. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So he's now referring back to the wilderness you remember the wilderness? I've preached about it a lot when they go round and round and round in the wilderness and they, uh, same thing every year, 40 years, and they didn't cross over. Do you want to know why? Do you know what held them back? Their hearts got hardened. Their hearts got hardened to, to what God wanted to give them <clears throat> because they got dissatisfied with what he did give them. You remember that? They said, oh, we got these, this manna. Man in the morning, man in the evening, man in supper time. All we got to eat is this manna. And so they got hardened to what God had given them. And so they couldn't get and obtain what God wanted to give them. So, harden not your hearts as in the provocations in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So he's referring to the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. I don't want you know. I, I can't think of a worse thing for God to say about us than that He was grieved with us. To grieve means to quench. It means to to snuff out, to to muffle out. I can't think of one. I can't think of anything harsher and harder to say about anyone or about anything other than God was grieved with us. To grieve, when someone dies, we have a grieving process. When we have a loss, we have a grieving process. And we hurt, and we emotionally hurt. That's what the Bible says that happened with the people of, of God in the wilderness when they wouldn't listen to God. Is that He was hurt. His heart was hurt. And I imagine sometimes, imagine God blessing us, loving us, being so good to us, saving us, giving us a new life, giving us home, hope, family, friends, food, shelter, clothing, everything he's blessed us with. And yet, we harden our hearts towards him, harden our hearts towards his word, harden our hearts towards his man, Hardening our hearts towards the church. And the Bible said it grieves him. It hurts him. So that's who you're hurting. You're not hurting. You're hurting yourself, yes, obviously. But the reality is you grieve him. And I don't want to grieve him. So, verse number... uh, Verse number... Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart. So there it is. Their heart got hardened and then they went erroneous. They went in error in their heart and it grieved God. And they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. We'll address the rest uh, in the next chapter, the next lesson. The rest, okay, because the rest is also chapter 4. But it, it basically means the Canaan rest, the rest for the people of God, the spirit-filled, spirit-satisfied life. 
So verse 12, take heed, brethren. So to take heed means to, to look out for. It means to watch out for. It means to be on guard. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another. Now you will see that throughout Hebrews. You'll see many times in Hebrews a call to exhort. That's what Hebrews 10.25 says. You know, I've quoted that for you many times about church attendance. And it says, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together, uh, as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. To exhort means to encourage strongly. And we find that here. Verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Okay? But exhort one another daily. That means to encourage one another strongly daily. That's a daily thing. We need daily encouragement. And that's why my teaching and my preaching, no matter what direction it takes initially, as far as the negative or as far as where we can get, I always turn it back to, okay, this is what's wrong. Now this is how we get right and the the benefits of getting right. And so having said that, that is my example of exhorting you to encourage you strongly. And that's what we should do. We need more encouragers. We need more exhorters. We need more folks that are helping others along instead of discouraging them. And so we see that here. Look, look at it. But exhort one another daily. And it's a daily thing. Some people need daily encouragement, especially that's enough to keep somebody from renouncing the faith and getting out is you and I exhorting one another. Encouraging strongly one another. People need encouragement. They don't need your judgment. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. Do you see that? Not of his religion, not of his faith, but actually partakers of him. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Okay, so there's the key is, is staying with him. While it is said to while it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So again, the encouragement is to not allow your heart to get hard, to not let life, circumstances, things that occur, people that you meet, church problem, what whatever the situation, to not allow your heart to become hard. And that's one of the greatest challenges in life is to prevent our hearts from getting hardened. And um, I know I, it's, it's a challenge for me, and, and, and I always want to retain a soft heart. And we, you know, we kid about it a lot. Yeah, my head may be hard, but I want my heart to be soft. And um, so look, this that's what he's saying here. Harden not your hearts. Verse number 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. How be it? And now watch. He refers back to Moses and the promised land and the children of Israel. How be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom he was grieved 40 years so he's referring back to the children of Israel in the wilderness and because that's who they held in such esteem. They were holding 
Moses. They were holding their fathers and their generations in such esteem. So he's referring back to them and he's saying, look, I was grieved by them. So based on that, I'm trying to prevent you from being that way. And in doing so, I'm telling you how much better Jesus was than Moses. How much better Jesus was than Abraham. And he'll go through the entire book of Hebrews giving examples of him reminding us of how much better Christ is than all the Old Testament works and law. So verse 17, But with whom he was grieved forty years, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Back to that reference. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And you remember the unbelief. They saw the giants. They saw the walls. They saw the enemy. They feared Caleb. And Joshua looked over and said, no, let's take it. And and you know the story there. Now you see the significance of the Old Testament stories. Those things happened to give us an example of us in the New Testament. Now... He winds this chapter up with a re- reference to rest. So we're going to start in chapter 4 the next time with explaining what this rest is that he's speaking of. It's not death. okay? It's a rest for the people of God. It's a resting in Christ. It's a maturing level in your, in your walk with God to the degree that you can now simply rest in Christ without all the Old Testament works, without trying to to put on some air of dogma, without uh, rules and regulations and laws, simply rest in Christ. And that's what he's encouraging these, these believers to do because of the oppression that they find themselves under. All right, that's going to close out chapter 3. We'll start chapter 4 the next time. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, tuning in. Good night. God bless. I love each of you. Have a great week.